Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church, and uh, it's good to have you with us this morning. Merry Christmas to everybody. You got your Christmas lights up? Have you got them on? December 1st, we turn our lights on, and uh, even though there were tornadoes all around me, I was determined to stay on that roof and get the job done. And so uh, <laughs> we got them up, and then here comes uh, Nora and Ellie, and they're going, wow, and we drive around the neighborhood looking at the competition to see what they're doing you know and they were looking it was beautiful and then we turned a corner and i go man look whose house is that it looks like las vegas and nora goes that's Gigi's house that's your house papa i went oh my (laughs) it's just way too many lights as usual i like christmas lights we walked through rock springs earlier this week and it was wonderful i enjoyed it so much and i hope that um, you enjoy the Christmas season, as it's officially, I feel like, kicks off December 1st, not November 1st, right after Halloween. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is something to think about. Christmas is just a few weeks away. This year has went by so quickly. And with all the lights and the music, and you know, a 102.5 is playing Christmas music 24-7. You got all the Christmas movies. White Christmas is showing on the big screen December 9th and December 12th. Uh, in, in a theater near us somewhere, I don't know exactly where, but uh, I love that musical. And um, maybe you like a Christmas movie or two. We went and watched The Grinch, uh, the latest one, with the grandkids. Uh, it was way over the top, spectacular. And so I'd recommend you go see that one. It was very good. But, you know, sometime during Christmas, you're going to maybe get a Christmas card or you might hear somebody quote a passage of scripture that's from the new testament or something but you might even hear this one here that we find in isaiah 9 verse 6 and it's up here on the screen and in your notes if you want to get your notes out and follow along it says a child is born to us a son is given to us and he will be our ruler he'll be called wonderful counselor mighty god eternal father Prince of Peace. Maybe you've heard that and you'll hear that sometime in the next month. And you know, I got to thinking as I was looking at this and looking at what could we do a series on on Christmas, I thought about this passage. I've always used it as a proof text to show that Jesus wasn't a mighty God, but the mighty God. Because some people, some religious groups teach that Jesus was not really God in the flesh. And I thought, well, that's what it's about. But then when you back up and you really think about this passage and you look at its context, and that's what I started doing. I started going, well, what's the context of this passage? And um, I thought I'd ask Matthew Wolf if he'd come out and read Isaiah 9 for us. And um, he can help us understand the passage. He's a little nervous, so help him out here, okay? He's encouraging. Yeah, there we go. There will be no way for them to escape from this time of trouble. The land tribes of Zebulun and Nephthal was once disgraced, but the future will bring honor to this region. From the Mediterranean eastward to the land on the other side of the Jordan, and even to Galilee itself, where the foreigners live, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They lived in a land of shadows. But now the light is shining on them. You have given them great joy, Lord. You have made them happy. They rejoice in what you have done, as people rejoice when they harvest grain, or when they divide captured wealth. For you have broken the yoke that burdened them, and the rod that beat their shoulders. 
you have defeated the nation that oppressed and exploited your people, just as you defeated the army of Midian long ago. The boost of the invading army and all their blessing and clothing will be destroyed by fire. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and he will be our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His royal power will continue to grow. His kingdom will always be at peace. He will rule as King David, his successor, basing his power on right and justice. From now until the end of time, the Lord Almighty is determined to do all this. Excellent. How appropriate for a child to read this passage. I couldn't help but think about Linus and Peanuts. You know, as Matt is reading this passage. And boy, there's so much in this. And I would like to encourage you to read this passage often during this series. Look at the promise that's being given. Isaiah is the prophet that says these words. It's during a time when Israel is not in good shape. In fact, he has grown up watching his nation divide in two like a civil war. There's a north and a south. And he has also watched, since 10 years old, he's watched how Assyria has slowly gotten more powerful and has now come into the northern part, the Israel part. You know, when Israel was divided in two, though it's all of Israel, they referred to Israel, the north part as Israel, and the south as Judah. And he's in Judah, and he's teaching all of Israel. And he's watching the northern part of his nation being just consumed by the Assyrian army and captured. They're under this yoke of slavery and burden. Notice, did you catch the passage? It says the rod on their backs and they're burdened down. It's a dark time in Israel. They're living in a dark time. It says they're living in the shadows. In the shadows. Like, like the, you know when the clouds are all out and it's overcast all the time? Don't you just get bleh? That's what it's, they're living in the shadows, and some would say the shadows of death itself. And yet, with all this is going on, and why is this going on? It's because Israel has a history of just pushing God away, pushing back against God's help, pushing back against God's light that He tries to bring to His people. And because of that, they are now experiencing a very tough chapter in their history. A very tough time. And then out of the blue, he starts saying this. He says, the people that have walked in darkness have seen, he says, a great light. A great light. And he says, and that light is now shining on them. And I think that's interesting because Isaiah is funny sometimes. He talks like it's of something of the future as if it's already happened. This is a prophecy. We see that because it says a child is born. Some people believe Hezekiah may have been this king that they're referring to. Hezekiah wasn't a wonderful counselor. He wasn't mighty. You just learn about him. You find out it's not talking about Hezekiah at all. It's talking about someone else. Someone that would come 750 years later in a manger. That's why your bulletin cover's got this this graphic on it. And if you look at it real close, you might say, there's a great light. And what is it? Well, it's the star. It's the star that leads to Bethlehem. No, it's not. The great light is what's in that manger. It's the promised child. It's Jesus Christ. And he says it's coming. And he says, in fact, it's it, because it's coming, it's as if it's already showed up because... Folks, it, he says, when this light comes, it was it's over before it starts. 
You know, that's why he can talk like it's now shining. Now, in our time, here we are 2,000 years later, Jesus Christ has come already at that very first Christmas. You could call him the first Christmas light, the brightest of all, shining in the dark place on earth where people live in darkness. And by the way, the Bible talks about darkness being sin and rebellion. And so these people, Israel, because it's pushing back the light that God's trying to show them, now they're in total darkness. They're in a tough time. When you push against God's light, all you have left is darkness. It's all that's left for you. It's all that's left for me. And so this is a great passage, the context of it being this idea of light and darkness. And I notice it says what I didn't notice until Matt was reading. I didn't notice this. As I looked at verse 6 here in Isaiah 9, it says, A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and he will be our ruler. He'll be our light, if you will. And he describes this light in four ways. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to be looking at all four of these in this series. Today we're going to look at Wonderful Counselor. How can Jesus be such a wonderful counselor? Now, are you sure, Tim, that this is about Jesus? Well, if you look at Matthew 4 in your notes, look what the Bible says about Jesus while he was on the earth. Leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. The whole reason, the whole reason Jesus came was to push back the darkness that had dominated the earth for so long, since the beginning, and to bring God's light, His brilliant, great light to the world. And so he calls that light Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. We're going to wrap up this series on the 23rd of December. We're going to have our children are going to sing to us. We're going to have a Christmas service. And we're going to be talking about the Prince of Peace and how that's just an amazing thing. And now today I want to talk about, about Jesus being a wonderful counselor. And notice... Uh, I want you to see it says it's, he's a wonderful counselor. And the Bible says that elsewhere in Isaiah 28, 29 here in your notes. Look again. This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. Before we can really talk about him being a counselor, we got to look at this word wonderful, because some of the translations separate the word wonderful from everything else. He's wonderful counselor, mighty God like that. What's wonderful mean? It means wow, awesome, over the top, amazing, uh, incomprehensible. A big word that comes out of this word wonderful is astonishing. I was talking uh, with a couple of fellows, with Wayne and Jim, and I were talking about one time Jim Quick and I were out walking around where he hunts deer. He just got a big one, and he's showing pictures of it. And I said, you remember that time, Jim, when we were walking around? Just You were just showing me in the spring. It wasn't even deer season. How, how, how this lays out. And you've got the paths the way that you do. And we're standing there talking. And all of a sudden you go, what's that? 
And we look right down by my left foot, and there's a fawn that had just been born. It still had afterbirth on its on its hide, you know, and it's sitting there, and it's frozen. It isn't moving an inch. That's all they can do, you know. It couldn't get up and run. And I go, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And Jim goes, it's exciting. That's his terminology. You see, mine's awesome. It's astounding. And we reach down and we pet the deer on its forehead a little bit. And, and all of a sudden we hear a... <laughs> What's that, Jim? That's mom. We've gotten too close. Back away slowly, Tim. And all of a sudden we see this mother deer, this huge doe, leap. And, and the weeds are about this high. And they're, you know, the, the old ones. You know, and they, they and it leaps above it like, I'm over here and I'm coming after you if you don't get away from my kid. And we were talking about it, and I was just captured again in how astounding that is. That's that's. He said, Tim, I've never had this happen all the times I've been there. It hadn't happened to me before. I'm meeting Bambi. This is exciting. <laughs> and maybe you could think of a, a moment or a, a thing or an object or a movie or a or a person. You just go, wow, that's amazing. Amazing catch. You know, Alabama coming back and winning. That was amazing. I didn't think they could do it. I thought it was over. The, the guy they're taking off is off the, you know, the quarterback's off, and then he come back and they win this game. That was astounding. And, you know, we, we use this word, wonderful, amazing, astounding so much. I hear the word awesome used, overused, huh? Right? I mean, come on, M&M's, awesome, Tim. Get real. Well, they're astounding sometimes. But I guess I'm saying, what I'm saying to you this morning is this idea of wonderful, that this wonderful counselor, this, this Jesus is not your everyday guidance that gives you guidance and direction. He's astounding. He's amazing. He's that wonderful. There's no experience like having this counselor in your life. Working in your life. He is a wonderful counselor. And if he's going to be my counselor, well, what makes him, what makes him qualified? That's what I want to talk about here. What makes Jesus qualified to be my wonderful counselor? Well, let me give you a few here. I'll give you four reasons why he can, he is our wonderful counselor, your wonderful counselor. First, because Jesus knows everything about me. You know, you know anybody you say, I know them like a book? Or they, you've, or ever heard somebody say, I can read them like a book? No, they can't. Oh, they may know a lot about some things about them, but you don't know everything about somebody. No, and not every, not, not, and there's no one that knows everything about you. There's only one person that knows everything about you, and it's Jesus Christ. Psalms 139.1 says this, the psalmist said, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. I remember when I was a, in high school, a freshman, coming out of eighth grade, and I met for the first time a guidance counselor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A guidance counselor? Anybody? They still have those in high school? They still have those? Okay, are you kind of like a high uh, or a suggester? What do you call that? You you used to do that, right? Okay, you were advisor. Yeah, you worked with students and you're advising them on what to do. And that's what a guidance counselor is. I remember going in and you know here I am, an eighth grader, first couple of days coming into high school, and I'm sitting there, and this woman sitting across this desk goes, "Okay, Tim," and she's got this. This form in front of her, it's my permanent record card. Everything the teachers have said about me is in this file. And she's looking at it. 
And she said, so Tim, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or when you graduate, what do you want to do? Have you ever thought about your career, what you're going to do in life? And I'm going, well, yeah, I have. And I'm thinking maybe, you know, um, I've been told I, I might might try carpentry. I have uh, friends that are uh, and family that are carpenters, and, and they told me they would uh, give me a summer job. And so I thought about learning to be a carpenter. What do you think of that? Oh, wow, you could build things. Think of the things you could build. And she dreams with me. And then she says, now, Tim, okay, so if that's what's going to be, and she's looking at my permanent record card, she goes, do you like math? Huh? Do you like math? It's okay. You know, well, you're, you're going to need to take a lot of math if you're going to build things. In fact, we're going to put you down for algebra, geometry, and trigonometry. And I went, that just sounds too, too hard already. I can't even pronounce those three words. How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it in class? She goes, oh no, you'll, you'll be fine. And, and, and I think that we ought to, and we'll put you in building trades. We'll, I think that would be a good idea. I mean, how, what kind of things do you like to build, Tim? And she just, and she goes, well, well, tell me more about your family and tell me more about your interests and stuff. And I'm just blabbing it away and she's writing it down. Why is she doing that? Because the more she knows me, the better she can guide me, right? And she says, anything else you want to do? And I go, well, you're going to laugh. What? Well, I'm thinking about maybe, uh, Preaching, being a preacher, a preacher, a carpenter and a preacher. Hey, wait a minute. I know somebody in the Bible that used to be a carpenter and a preacher. I go, really? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she goes, okay, Tim, well, let's look at this. Now, I noticed your grades in grade school when you had English. You're going to have to take a lot of English. She, she goes, uh, when I look at this, I'm going, okay, you grew up on a farm. You're in southern Illinois. Those are two strikes against you right there. You're going to really have a hard time. With your English. And I noticed you didn't do very well in grade school. Well, English was a chore. I could speak Southern Illinoisan fluently, but this English is tough. I know the words like slaunchways and, you know, meander and ander and rods and all that, but I don't know anything about technical words. And she's like, well, you're going to have to take a lot of that. So we'll have to put you down for that. And you, do you like history? Well, yeah, I love history. Well, you're going to, we're going to put you down for American history and world history, and we're going to get you really acclimated to that. And have you thought about a school, the school you're going to go to? I just got out of the eighth grade. Well, what college do you want to attend? I don't know. Well, we better think about the colleges as well. When somebody knows you like that, they're able to give you better guidance and counseling. It's that, am I right? They're able to direct you. Jesus Christ knows you better than anybody. Better than anybody. He knows. So doesn't that qualify Him to speak into your life? I would think it would. He knows what you're thinking. It almost sounds like Santa Claus. He knows when you are sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Yes, He knows when you've been bad or good. But it's not Santa. No, this is Jesus that knows. Look what the Bible says here in Hebrews 4. Jesus understands every weakness of ours. I want you to underline every weakness. Every weakness. Not just some of, oh yeah, I get, I got enough. No, I know every weakness you got, Tim. I know every shortcoming you have. I know all about you. Because he was tempted in every way that we are. And he didn't, but he did not sin. Now, it's not that he just knows everything about you and I. But he's also experienced what you and I have experienced. He understands what it's like to be tempted. He understands what it's like to be disappointed. He understands that there's obstacles. He understands there's times that you don't, what, what am I going to do? Like Gethsemane, Lord, is there any way to take this cup from me? He understands that it's hard to make choices to follow, to follow God at times. So he understands what I'm feeling. He can relate. He gets me. He gets 
you. Why? Because He's walked in our shoes. So when He speaks, I should listen. That's what makes Him such a wonderful, over-the-top counselor in my life and your life. Second thing I notice about wonderful counselors is this. That Jesus is my wonderful counselor because Jesus knows much more than me. Here I was, eighth grade, this is an adult. She's been through some things I haven't been through, and she's guiding me with my education. You like music, Tim? Yeah, I want to take band. That's wonderful. Music's important if you really want to be a creative person and build things and stuff. So it's good that you have that. It's not just an outlet. Musical people are ta- uh, have a rare talent that really you want to you want to really develop that. So we'll make sure you're in band all four years. Do you like to sing? Well, I don't want anybody to know. Yeah, I do. I don't don't think I sing well. Well, we're going to get you in some chorus and some things like that. Maybe you can write some music. I'm going. How does she know that? Well, because she is has lived and lived longer than me. She knows more than I do. Look at the Bible says here in Isaiah 11, 1-2. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. What's he, what's, Isaiah, what are you saying? That Jesus possesses all wisdom, all understanding, all knowledge. He, when He counsels, He knows what He's talking about. Not when you don't, because you don't. Tim, you don't know everything. Isaiah 40, look at this. Who's able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to be His teacher or counselor? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good and what is best? No. For all the nations of the world are nothing in comparison with him. They're but a drop in a bucket. And I'm 61 years old. And here's what I'm learning. It seems like the older I get, the less I know. The older I get, it seems like I know. When I was 20, 20 or 30, I thought I knew everything. You know, all these old people telling me stuff. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. See, I'm educated. I've been to classes. And I think I know something you don't know. Really. Really. I did. I remember, I don't know how many times I'd get done preaching and somebody go, well, now Tim's young. What do you mean by that? He's wet behind the ears. What do you mean by that? I dry my ears after I take a shower. What are you talking about? You don't know everything, Tim. You're going to find out. I had an old man tell me that one time. Tim, you're going to find out you don't know as much as you think. And what I've learned is, I think I know less than everything that there is to be known. In fact, I've learned I don't know much. And here's why I know that, because it doesn't take me long to wreck something, to damage something, to break something, to mess something up. That's how I know I don't know everything. Okay? And a lot of times now, a lot of times, I'm in the dark. I don't know what I'm doing. Now, don't tell my wife I said that. Don't tell Denise I said that. It's hard to admit that. And I know that's just a guilt trait. That's not anybody else here. So I know that's just a problem that's in my life. And see, and then when I start thinking and I compare, listen, when I start comparing what God knows with what I know, it is a drop in the bucket when you stop and think about it. 
He knows so much more. And the sooner I could admit that this gap exists between what God knows and what I know, the sooner my need for God's counsel begins to grow and the sooner He can bless my life. Look what Daniel said about the Lord. God is the one who uncovers what lies deeply hidden. He knows what hides in darkness. Light lives with Him. You see, on my own, I don't have much light. As I get older, I I have to have more light to work on things. Nobody told me this. I'll go inside like I'll do a windshield in a garage, in a, in a parking garage, and I want to be outside. I put a windshield in the other day. It was 21 degrees outside because I didn't want to pull it inside because I couldn't see as well inside as I could outside. I'd rather be cold and see than warm and blind. That's what I, that's what I noticed the other day. See, on my own, I don't know what's hidden. On my own, I don't know what's in the dark. You ever got up middle of the night? There's not a light on. The moon's not out. You're trying to stumble and you fumble your way to the bathroom, or you're trying to go. You hear a noise. You're trying to. One time I walked. I kid you not. I walked into a door that was partially open like that, and I had my hands out, hit my head right between. I went, what in the world? It was, and I'm fighting it. It's a door. I can't see in the dark. You can't see in the dark. We need light. I need light. But it's not just to see my notes or see the you you all here or to see each other. It's I need light in my life to see the spiritual things that God wants to reveal. Colossians 2 verse 3 says in him in Jesus Because of Christmas, because He's come to this earth, in Jesus are stored all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He has it all. He knows it all. I don't. You don't. He knows so much more than I. He's been around the block. That's why He knows so much. He's been around since... Well, He has no beginning, no end. All that experience. How can I compete with that? How can I... The audacity of thinking, I know what I'm doing. And not considering what Jesus says. To push away His light, to push away His help, doesn't make any sense at all. Because He's so qualified to be a wonderful counselor. See, I can count on Him to have the remedy, the solution, and I can trust His guidance. Why? Because He knows more than me. He knows more than you. Is Jesus just another person that you seek direction from? Or does He stand out? Is He astonishing? Because He is an astonishing counselor. Here's the third reason. He's my wonderful counselor because Jesus knows what's best for me. Not only does He know know me so well and He knows more than me, He knows what's best for me. I wish I could say I know what's best for me, but I'd be lying. There's times I have no clue what's best for me. What's best for me, I think, is what I want, not what I need. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You say, well, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I, what I need, that's what needs to happen when it's really what I want to see happen. Look at the Bible says here in Psalms 37. Keep company with God. In other words, trust Him. Get in on the best. Why? Because if I want the best for my life, 
He has the secrets to finding that, to attaining that, to experiencing that. Like I say, I, I don't always know what's best for me. My selfishness and pride darken my understanding. They make it difficult. It clouds my heart. Shadows it. For example, let me give you one that's, you know, simple example. We've all come to a traffic light, right? Why is the traffic light there? It's there to help us. Traffic light is there to help us, to keep us safe, to protect us. We know that. We know what green means. I know what green means. It means go, correct? I know what red means. It means stop, correct? We all know that. But when it turns yellow, what do Why do I floor it? I know it's telling me slow down. I know, but mm, mm, ah, I got past that. Why? Why do I fight the, the light? What it's saying, Tim, slow down, you're going to get in a wreck. Well, it's never happened yet. I can't say that anymore, but, but you know, maybe somebody can. The thing is, we fight the light. It's our, why do we do that? Why are, why are we, and see, and here's God's light, and, and we resist it. We know what green is, we know what red is, but oh man, I don't like that situation. I know He knows what's best for me. I know what He's saying in His Word, but I don't like that. So I don't want that. I think I know what's best for me. I think something else is best for me. And why do I push back? I push back because, listen to this, listen. I don't want and I don't like seeing my own darkness. Somebody tries to speak into my life. And what do I do? I resist it. Someone tries to point something out. My wife tries to point something out. I bow up. My mom and dad try to point something out. I shut down. Somebody in the disciple group notices something. Another Christian just speaks something into my life and I don't like it. So what do I do? I just turn it off. Why? Why do I do that? God's trying to flip a switch on and I'm trying to flip it off because let's just face it now. We like the darkness. We want the darkness. We are used, we're used to the darkness. And this resistance, this tendency to flip the light off when God's trying to shine it, is why we can't be blessed at times. God can't bless us. He won't bless us. It robs us of a great blessing. Look at the Bible says here in uh, Psalms 145. He, that is God, does what's best for those who fear Him. You believe that? Well, what's He doing? Are you, are you cooperating when he's trying to work something, work something out for the good? Here, look at this other passage. We respect our parents for training and not spoiling us, so why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. 
Parents, you ever did something with your kids and you went, oh, probably wasn't a good idea. You, your heart was in the right place. But you know, you, you know, you're limited. But God is doing what is best for us. Training us to live God's holy best. And the, at the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely. Why? Because God's best, what's best for me. He knows what's best for me. My guidance counselor would say, Tim, I goes, I'm thinking about taking cooking. I thought about taking home ec. No, you're not, listen, Tim, you're not going to take home ec. You need to take this. But, I, but that's an easy class. You're going to take algebra. I don't want to take algebra. Why? It's too hard. I didn't do well in, in grade school. You know, is it okay? You, you'll be able to handle algebra. I remember standing up in algebra class one time. Mrs. Bunning, we called her Speedy Edie. Edith Bunning, Speedy Edie. She had a bald spot in the back of her head. It's a woman now, okay? And she's a little bitty sawed-off thing. She's real scrawny. And she's writing on a chalkboard. Da, 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 da. I, my name is... And we all go, Speedy Edie. You know, and she's like, blah, blah, blah. And she gets done. Turns around and goes, we're going to learn algebra. And I stood up first day. Mrs. Bunning, yeah. I don't believe I'll ever use algebra. This is ridiculous. And she goes, Mr. Gill, you should never say that. God has a sense of humor. Later, I'd take tool and die. And I took four years of algebra and I could not, I could not get out of my head that, and that bald spot. She says it while she's writing on the board. And I'm like, man. God knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for you. And that's what makes Him such an awesome, astounding counselor for your life. But there's a fourth reason. And this one here, I think, is maybe one of the most neglected thoughts we have when we think about counseling. That is, Jesus is a wonderful counselor because Jesus knows the real reason I'm here. He knows the real reason I'm here. See, when I think of counsel, counsel, I don't know, don't you think of words like guidance, direction, advice? You know, the president, this person's our counsel, and what do we think? Well, he's giving them advice, or, or somebody says, I'm going to some counseling, and I go to counseling, and I'm getting, I'm going through some therapy or some counseling, and what is that about? Well, I sit there and I tell this person these things, and then they give me some assignments and direction, and some thoughts to reconsider, and help me work through things. I, I think that's, that's, that's fine, that's great. But a guidance counselor has more going on, than just giving advice and direction. He he or she has a goal in mind for you and I. That's why there's the advice and the direction. There's a plan that they have. There's a goal that they have. And see, this is the meaning. This is the meaning behind the word counselor in Isaiah 9-6, this Hebrew word. It means to deliberate, to plan, A purpose. So when he says, he came, brought this light, it's to bring his plan, his plan, his purpose on this earth. You see, I have plans. Don't you have plans? I have plans. Every Sunday, I I think, oh, here's my week ahead. Here's what I'm planning to do tomorrow. (laughs) 
Here's what I plan to do this week. And how many times does it always work out? I, I, I write it in pencil. Not in pen anymore. Because I know it's going to change. God has plans. I have plans. But God's plans don't change. In fact, His plans are wonderful because of that reason. And see, this light, this great light that came on Christmas, this great light that shone and that, that emit, starts emitting from, from Bethlehem, this light that Simeon would say, holding this baby in his hand, would say, he's going to be a light to all people. That's what Simeon said about him. Just a few days after his birth, is here and it shines in your life, it shines in my life to help me fulfill his wonderful plan, not my puny plans. Ephesians 1 says it like this, in Christ, notice this, in Christ, circle in Christ, in Christ, because of Jesus, because of this child being born, we have also obtained inheritance. Whoa, inheritance, what's that mean? It wasn't mine. It was given to me. This was given to me because of Christ. This inheritance. It wasn't mine to begin with. It was given to me. And it says, having been destined according to the purpose of Him. In other words, He planned it ahead of time. And look here. Who accomplishes all things according to His counsel and will. I don't know. I think real simple. Okay? So... Humor me if you don't get this. I didn't plan to be here. Did you? Did you plan to be here? I didn't plan to be here. Doesn't that say that some there's another plan already? Just by being born, that there must be another plan besides mine. Because I sure didn't plan to be here. You know, uh, somebody says, well, mom and dad, they planned it. One of my kids... Both my kids' names mean gift. And one of them means a surprise gift. We were planning it. Okay, we're having a child. No, let's don't make this... Don't complicate it here. You didn't plan. I didn't plan to be here. And yet we're here. Why? Somebody planned it. Someone planned you to be on this earth. Adam and Eve. You think Adam and Eve one day were sitting around in heaven going, I think we need to start something. I think I got a plan. What? Let's, you go first, Adam, and then we'll have some surgery, and then I'll come along, and, and we'll just, we'll start the, we'll get on the earth. That wasn't their plan. It was God's plan. And what was His plan? To bring man to this earth, to walk with Him. And as soon as Adam and Eve started implementing their plan, what happened? It wrecked. It was a train wreck. See, Jesus knows the real reason I'm here, and it's because it's on purpose. And see, your wonderful counselor has plans for you. We say that we've used to talk about this a lot, but we've gotten away from this. We gotta remember the whole undertow of why we're here is to fulfill God's plan, not mine. 
I'm getting closer to what I'm trying to say. Do you see me anywhere? I'm sneaking up on you. See, it's bigger. This plan is bigger than your quality of life on earth. I knew Gary would say that. It's right. It right? I, that's what I'm learning. That God's plan is bigger than the quality of life on this earth because I'm not designed to stay here. It's about having, it's, it's about more than having it better here. We say at Greater Alton, you know, we have a little slogan, your bridge to a better life. And I, and I, I want you to know, I, I believe, I, don't, don't misunderstand me. I believe God is concerned about what happens to you today and what happens tomorrow. But he, his vision, his scope is, goes much broader than that. It goes, it's bigger than that of what's happening here. What are you talking about, Tim? I think a lot of, I'll tell you what I think. I'm, I'm starting to realize a lot of Christians, a lot of American Christians seem to be into God, meet my needs, make me a better me, take care of me. We go to churches based on, well, will they, will they meet my needs? You know, help me, Lord, with my finances. Why? So I can be financially secure. Lord, help me. Help. We say good steward. Don't we just shape it so pretty? We put a biblical good stewardship. Just think about that a minute. I, I, God, I want a better, I want a good family. So help me have my family. Why? Because I don't want my kids getting in trouble. I want, I want, I want them to be good kids and, and, and good adults. Lord, help me with my marriage. Why? I want to have a good marriage. Why? So I can be happy in my marriage. Or Father, I just got this emotion. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I, I, help me. What's the goal here? Well, to get me better. Yeah, of course. Yes. Amen. Better marriage, better family, financial security. Of course. God wants to bless you with these things. But what for, for what purpose? Well, then I won't. Have trouble. Won't have any problems. You're aiming too low. Way too low. Well, I'll, I'll be happy. Way too low. Way too low. His plan isn't about making me happy and just, and just making me happy. This is the, this is the tough one here. You see, my goals, my plans are about happiness. Finding happiness. Am I the only person here that knows that? That our tendency can be, I'm after my happiness, and God is after something else. He's after my holiness. And what is holiness? To be taken from some place and used for a special purpose. What was Adam and Eve in the garden for? So they could eat, and, and it was you know always 75 degrees and sunny and... What were they there for? They were there to take care of the garden. That's what God's will was. And all they had was one rule. Don't eat from that tree. Not ten commandments, just one commandment. Don't eat from that tree. And what do they do? <laughs> Why? Because they loved the darkness. They, there was something appealing about the darkness. And this morning I want you to see, I want you to see here 
that, that this is really, that, that Jesus is saying, Jesus came to provide a purpose and plan bigger than pleasure and feeling good. Of course he wants, he wants you to enjoy life. He wants to bless your life, but he wants to use your life. Look here at Psalm 73. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Well, what is that? Debt free. No. That's good. It can involve that. No, there's something else he's taking you to. There's something, some, some other thing he is after besides you having all your ducks in a row and my ducks in a row. He came into this world, Jesus came into this world to push out the darkness. And He pushes it out by giving His life, by living the plan of God. Living out the plan of God. He could have been, he could have had his own plan and said, well, I just want to, I'd like to stay alive. But the plan of God moved him beyond, included times of satisfaction, times of happiness, moment, and he had some good times with his disciples, but it also pulled him and moved him to service and sacrifice. Where he didn't choose his own self, but chose his Father's will. In Psalms 32, it says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise or counsel you and watch over you. I don't know if you noticed back um, when Matt was reading Isaiah 9, the very last part, the very last part of verse 7, or the, the very last part of the passage this is what it says. After he says that he's going to bring this light and he's going to rule, he's going to dominate the, the, the enemies, all of their, their equipment, even their clothes will be burned up. They'll be used for fuel, if you will. They're, they're, he's going to trample the enemy underfoot. If you can't th- see Satan in that and his rule of sin and the power of, of sin and death over mankind, he's going to crush it just like he said he would in Genesis 3. He prophesied it'd be crushed. By this, by this child or this person that would come through them. But it says this, it says this in the last part of that verse, the Lord is determined to do all this. See, God has a plan and He's going to do what He's planned to do. The question is, will you be involved in His plan or will you go on your own? He's going to fulfill it. One way or another, he's going to get it done. And you need to listen to, for, his, for his plan and purpose in your life because he knows the real reason you're here. Now let's wrap this up this morning. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you needing some light in your life? Is it overcast? In the last year, would you say in the last year, are things getting brighter? Or darker. Let me ask you this. Have you somehow been resisting and pushing back the light of God? During the Christmas season, we're going to be reminded of this 
the greatest Christmas light display of all. And I just hope that this Christmas, you know, this Christmas season, we just don't let it pass without really paying attention and looking at this particular light, this great light, this astonishing light, this over-the-top, awesome, unbelievable, incomprehensible light that came in a manger. John 12 says this, Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in Me should stay in darkness. God doesn't want you, Jesus doesn't want you in darkness. He came to shine light into your life. Look at this, says here in Second Peter, Peter said these words, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. He's talking about prophetic message. By the way, Isaiah is a prophetic message, one of those messages. And you'll do well to do what? Here's the challenge during this series. To pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's saying, until the light shines bright again. During this series, maybe today you just need to make a decision. You know what? I've been resisting God's light and he's trying to be this counselor. And yeah, I like, I, I'll go to him every once over some advice or maybe a little direction. I ask you, don't treat Jesus like he's just anybody else. He's, he's much more than that. And let me encourage you to pay attention as we look at this light the next, not only today, but the next three weeks together. And may God bless you. Because when, when we pay attention to this light, it will change your life. You have a card in your bulletin, and you can respond to this lesson right there by writing out a simple prayer request, or maybe a decision you're going to make, or maybe you have a question about this passage. We're going to give you time to do that. We have people, by the way, that pray over these cards every week. You've got something that's going on. Say, man, this is a source of darkness in my life. I need help. To get God's light in here. I need that help. Well, why not write that out and let people pray for you this week? We're going to do that while we sing a song. And then we'll sing another song, collect up those cards, as well as our contribution for the week. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning, Lord. Thank you for being such a wonderful counselor. You are a great light. You shed your light in places that no one has seen in our lives, the darkest places. And you don't do that to shame us. You don't say, aha, looky here. You're saying, look, let's, let's work on that. Here, let me give you some light so you can. Let's work on it together. Because, Father, we know that you know us really well. Your light pierces right into our thoughts. I think about all the passages where it says that Jesus knew their thoughts. We know you know what we think. You know what we feel. It's because you understand us, you get us. You've been like us. You can relate to us, Father. And Father, we just think about how Your Son Jesus, how He knows so much more that in Him all the treasures of the kingdom are in His teachings. And Father, we pray that we can discover that and trust that and believe that and listen, realizing we don't know everything. Help us accept that. Father, it's hard to believe that You know what's best for us because there's times when we just don't like what You lead us to. 
and we're, it's because we're frightened or we're selfish. But help us, Father, to strip the pride away, strip the selfishness away, push the fear away, and let your light come in and just reveal what you're trying to do, where you're trying to take us. Father, help our plans be your plans. Let our goal be your goal. Father, we know you want us good and better and helped and sane and sober. We know you want that, but we know that's not the end. You want us to be also used. And Father, we pray that we'll take the blessings that we've already received from you over the years and that we'll begin to see how can we use them, how can we fulfill your plan, not our plan, but your plan in our life. Father, is there someone here that's needing your light? I mean, they're just so dark. They're discouraged. They're hurting. Father, I pray, we pray that you'll shine that light on them, Lord, like you did here in Isaiah's day. And let them see, truly see, how much you love them, how much you're for them, and what you'd like to change. That's what we ask, Father. Father, I think about Kim and losing her mother this week. And I know some of us, you know, when someone loses a parent, it reminds us of when we've lost ours or we've lost a friend. And Father, I pray you give great comfort to Kim and to Madison, Miranda, Mike, as well as the comfort some of us here need this morning. Help us as a church hug and love and and notice one another and encourage each other. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.